hit home the most for me in the last couple of years is the idea. And maybe I was susceptible to the delusion also, but the idea that there's some other adults out there that would have authority over you. Like people are used to school and they're used to having a job or having a boss or having somebody tell them what to do. Or some people are bossed around by their wives. Um, I see it. I see it sometimes. I'm like, your wife isn't your, how's your wife, your boss? So weird to me, that kind of relationship uh, with your wife, but to each his own, I guess. But the point is that a lot of people have a boss of sorts. You know, they, they look to the authorities, to the epidemiologist to tell them what to do, to the doctor, to whoever. And it's just like a model of a, a way of being, a model of seeing the world where people who know more, people who are, have the special knowledge can tell you what to do and you should obey them. And it, it's really reminiscent of, you know, the pre-enlightenment era where the priest knew the word of God. He had access to the word of God and you didn't and you obeyed your priest because um, you were just a layman and he was a priest. And this is the way I think this model for human interaction has kind of stayed intact, even though we're supposedly through the enlightenment where science is the objective truth, so to speak. But the way people understand science isn't doubt, skepticism, form a hypothesis, trial and error, question everything. It's more like a religion, like the science says, and so I have to do this. These people are scientists. They have advanced degrees. But all this stuff I'm saying is just, I'm not, I'm talking around the point. The, the, the point is you are a grown up. There is nobody uh, above you in the, uh, uh, as a human adult, there is nobody above you in the authority hierarchy. There's people who have more money. There's people who were elected to the government to do whatever harm they're doing mostly, but nobody has authority above you in your life as to what medicines to take, what foods to eat, what job to have. Nobody has authority above you. You are the supreme authority. You are the supreme law of the land in your own sphere. You are a flawed human being who's going to make many errors, and yet you are the highest authority. That is it. That is it. You are the highest authority. People say, well, you don't. How do you know? You don't know about you know, medicine or whatever other scientific, you know, you don't fly the airplane, you get on the airplane, you trust the pilot. That's fine. But it's my choice to get on the airplane and trust the pilot. And if I saw the pilot wasted in the airport bar and yet they were letting him fly anyway, I might not get on that plane. It would be up to me to board the plane. If a surgeon, a doctor recommends surgery for me, it's up to me whether to get that surgery. It's not up to him. I don't want it to be up to him whether the surgery that he, for which he will get paid He's going to decide that I need to have. No, he can recommend whatever he wants. And I need to think about it. Think about the incentives. Think about as much as I can learn about the topic, get a second opinion. And then I make the decision. We've talked about this before. In a court of law, the experts, they're not the jury. The jury is ordinary adult humans. Supposedly, they screen for bias before the trial starts. Just ordinary humans making the call. The experts testify to clarify technicalities for the layman, for the ordinary person. There are some things that you might not understand. So the technical person who has the expertise can explain it to you. There is nothing in this world that a rational person cannot understand. 
it just might need to be explained by someone who's done more work and more expertise. And yet that expert gets cross-examined by the lawyer. Why is, where is your expertise from? Why do you believe this? Is this other theory not more apt than the one you're offering? They cross-examine the expert. They don't just say, oh, he's an expert. He must know more than me. I'm just a lawyer. I'm not a scientist. No, the lawyers get familiar enough to cross-examine the experts and vice versa. A lot of expert testimony is very sketchy, paid for experts by the prosecution, paid for experts by the defense. Um, they're going to do the version of the science that advances their client's interests. And isn't that what's going on writ large in society, that you, you basically have a, a class of experts that are um, advocating for their clients' interests, uh, hopefully most of them ethically within the, I mean, I think it's all a little bit unethical to advocate. I mean, you're a scientist, you're just about the truth, but these paid for scientists who are unethical, who advocate for their clients' behalf, some of them do it within the bounds of truth. They, they believe it, or it's within, you know, what could be argued from the data, from the studies. And then some of them just, just push it beyond that or just doing outright propaganda and they know they're gaslighting people. But anyway, it just occurred to me, and I'm, again, talking around this point. The point is, forget about all this talk and reasoning and argument. You are the actual authority. You are the supreme source of authority in your own life. That is it. There is nobody above you as a fully grown adult. There's nobody above you or higher than you in making decisions for your own life. There are people who know more about particular things than you, and you should learn and consult them as you see fit, depending on how trustworthy they are and should cross-examine them and be skeptical, but you should learn from them. But in the end, the decision is yours. The verdict must be rendered by you. You are the jury. You are the person making the decision in your own life. And this is just so fundamental. And yet it's not the paradigm that we're raised with. The paradigm we're raised with is the teacher is your boss. The principal is your boss. The boss is your boss. The government is your boss. The scientist knows more than you. We are raised in a paradigm where we are still in the pre-enlightenment era where the priest knows the will of God and you have no access to it. So you must trust the priest. We are still operating under that paradigm, even though it seems like we're about science, but science is just another word. It's another false idol. It's just another fake religion. Unless you actually do science, which is not about trusting scientists, which is not about trusting knowledgeable people. That's not what science is. Science is skepticism. And I'll give you an example. You see all these people have been triple jabbed. They get COVID, they get sick, and they say, oh, it was terrible. I was really sick, but thank God I was triple jabbed. I, I probably would have died. And they don't know because they didn't do any science. They don't have the control version of themselves that didn't take the vaccine and see how they would have fared without it. So they're just completely making that up. And that's the science because they're supposed to say that. You know, they have a belief that, that this helped me, but they, they don't know because they haven't done the experiment. They're just believing somebody else saying this is helping them. By contrast, and I said this even though it was distorted, oh, he's saying ivermectin works. He believes in ivermectin horse pace. And I never said it worked. I just said I took it because I was persuaded that A, most important, it was not harmful to me, that it wouldn't hurt me, that tens of millions of people in Africa had taken it and had been fine and it is not a dangerous substance. So there was no downside. And that I had seen a lot of anecdotal evidence that it had helped and even some uh, studies that it had helped. And I was persuaded. So I took it and I said, I don't know if it helped. I got better. I was a little sick. I got better both times. No big deal. Just a cold, you know, unpleasant, but nothing serious, nothing life-threatening. No lingering problems from it. And uh, did the ivermectin help? I have no idea. 
And I said that because I don't have the control version of myself that didn't take it. I have no idea how I would have fared without it. I just don't know. So for me to say, thank God I had ivermectin would be just another religious belief in the substance. I did say, thank God I have my immune system. I feel pretty much on solid ground that without my immune system, I would surely have died. I feel that's safe, uh, even though I don't have a control group without my immune system, because without an immune system, you, you would be dead. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't know which vitamins or ivermectin or what helped me or, or didn't help. But it's just to me, it doesn't really matter, actually, what I took or what someone else took or what I think or what someone else think. You are the authority in your life. You have to do your own research. You have to figure it out. And the people that mock do your own research, those are just the most despicable people because they're basically telling you, you're not the authority. You are not the supreme authority in your own life. And that is just a, a terrible message for an adult. You are not a child. You are not a kid anymore. You don't go to school. If you've submitted to having a boss at work and that works for you, that's fine. But that's just a provisional relationship. That's just in the context of getting this project done that you get paid for. That is just a small subset of who you are in your life. Even the choice to have a boss is yours and you can leave and quit. If you can't leave, then it's slavery. If you can quit, then it's your choice and it's up to you to engage in that relationship, which is fine. It's just that you're the one choosing that. You are still the supreme authority in your life, even if you have a boss temporarily. If you decide to take the doctor's advice, that's fine, but it's you who decides. And you do not decide for others. You decide for yourself. You are still responsible. And if it goes bad, and if you took bad advice, that is on you. That is also on you. Now, maybe you could sue the doctor if he you know, lied to you or misled you or committed fraud. And, and I believe you should be able to if that were the case. But it is still your choice who to trust, what to do, what medicines to take, what foods to eat, how to conduct your life. And I just think this paradigm is the most important to restore. People have been trained to look to others, to tell them what to do, who to be. I mean, people don't even know who they are. People are just playing out a role in some cases, saying things that they're told to believe by the TV or their peers or the internet or, or wherever they get it. I mean, you are in charge. I've told this story before, but a friend of mine took Aikido for a couple of years and he told me that, you know, the guys who ran it, they were like these ninth degree black belts, masters at it. And they told the story about when their master retired and they had to take over and they weren't who they were yet. And they were kind of freaked out. They were like, who are we to replace this guy? And of course, who else? They were the most advanced students. And eventually they did replace him and became masters in their own right. And that's basically just growing up, right? You're a, a teenager. You know, I, I didn't get bar mitzvah. And I'm Jewish, but I never got a bar mitzvah. But I understand it. It's, hey, now you're a man or, you know, confirmation or whatever other religions do. Uh, hey, here's a ritual that says you were a child and now you're a man. Now you're a man, which means you are responsible now. You are in charge. Yeah, for kids, you know, when Sasha says, I want to get this kind of earring or I want to get the ear pierced in the middle of my ear, I said, you can't do that. And talk to your mom, basically, because she's in charge of that kind of stuff. But I'm like, when you're a grown up, you can do whatever you want. I don't agree with a lot of this stuff. I don't, I don't want you to get tattoos and other things. And you're not going to get one in our house. But when you're a grown up, if I'll discourage you, but if that's what you want, that's up to you because you will be then the sovereign boss of your life. And as your dad, I can only advise you. I can't, I can't control it once you're, once you're a grown up. But as a kid, you know, you're in our house. We're the boss of you still because you are a kid. But at a certain point, you become a grown up. And once you're a grown up, that's it.
That's it. There's nobody sitting there on Twitter like, oh, this guy doesn't follow the advice of experts. Oh, my God. Fuck you. I'm, I'm an adult. There's no ex- I don't have a boss. I don't have a boss. You do not have a boss in life. You are an adult. Do not outsource your judgment to others. Fuck you. Seriously. If, if you're going to talk like that to me, act like I have. I don't have a boss. You're not my boss. You and your expert, you are not a better judge of how to handle your life than I am. Why would I listen to you? And even if you thought, oh, this actually, you need to listen. You're, you're not doing the right thing. How the hell would you know? Oh, because I follow the experts. You're not an expert. Are you an expert in judgment? Are you an expert in who to follow? No, you're not. You're just some person. Why would I place my judgment beneath yours? Why would I listen to you at all? On what basis? What's so great about your life? Nothing. I don't, nothing that I can see. How's your health? How's your level of fitness? I follow these guys on Twitter, this guy, PD Mangan, and this other guy, Guru Anaerobic. And they're these like jack guys in their 60s. And I listen to them. I'm still the boss. I decide what to take and what to leave. But, you know, they're, they're, they're living it. Those guys are in great shape and great health. And I listen to what they have to say because proof of work, those guys are jacked and they're in their 60s and they say a lot of sensible things. And I will listen to them. Of course, it's up to me. But you have these couch potatoes telling Aaron Rodgers what medicines to take. Aaron Rodgers goes ahead. He has COVID for a couple of days without incident, no lingering effects, wins his fourth MVP in his late 30s. And these couch potatoes who are not in good health, metabolic syndrome and prediabetes and worse, are sitting here on Twitter telling this guy what to put in his body and and how to manage his health. I mean, it's, it's truly backwards. And so, I don't know, I've talked about this stuff before, but it just dawned on me, like, you are not a child. You're a grown up. Fuck's sake. Act like it. Okay, there's that. Personal note, I've been going back to the track. I was a little sluggish after COVID, but I did a 131, 400 meters. That's like a six-minute mile pace almost, and uh, just for a quarter mile. But I'm getting there, slowly expanding my lung capacity, and did a 340 half mile, which is like a slightly over seven-minute mile pace. Again, I'm not going to be breaking any records, but starting to get back into shape. My, my goal, a realistic goal is seven minute mile, full mile and a one fifteen quarter mile, which I did two years ago. I think that's very realistic. Probably will do that. Although summer's going to inter- interrupt my training. But if I stay with it, which I'm not sure I will, but if I do seven minute mile, one fifteen quarter, those are very doable. I'm the more aggressive. If I'm willing to suffer the pain, which I'm not sure I am be a one ten quarter mile and a six minute full mile. I think that is doable for me if I really want to suffer enough to do it. And I may, I think those are attainable goals. If you start going below six and start going below 110 for the quarter mile, you start getting up against the limits. I, I love the idea of designing a training where you incrementally get stronger without breaking yourself, without suffering too much. And like the frog in boiling water, just kind of end up running these ridiculous paces without killing yourself and keeping at it. You know, the, the real holy grail, but I don't think that's possible. The five minute mile, I think is almost too much. I mean, at 51 and I'm not really a runner's build. I'm 5'10", 185 now. I could get down to 175 if I got in great, great shape and that would help a little bit for it. But five minutes would be really, really tough for the full mile. Uh, Maybe five and a half would be pretty sick. 545 would be sick. Even six would be pretty good. And then the Holy Grail for the 400 would be one minute. But that's tough because I basically run 14 and change for the 100. So I'm almost sprinting, you know, the 400, but that those two things would be the Holy Grail, a one minute quarter 
five minute mile, that's probably not realistic, but I am just curious just if I could design something to incrementally train myself to, to do the impossible, basically probably never going to happen, but we'll see in this fall. I'll probably, if I just go three times a week to the track, you know, all fall, we'll see where I'm at. But anyway, I'm doing that. It's hell in a way, but it, it feels good afterward. And get some sun too, getting outside, which is nice. A couple pieces I'm working on. I just published one on why you died on this hill, bro. I, I think it was a comment from Twitter, but Rufus Peabody, who uh, is a better a guy that I like, and Jeff Ma, who I know also from the industry, they have a podcast called Bet the Process. And apparently somebody added me on Twitter because they listened to the podcast. And, and Jeff had said something like, you know, why is he dying on this hill or whatever? And, and that's, you know, why are you dying on this hill, bro? Meaning, why am I so obsessed with COVID restrictions and constitutional rights? And why did I go down this road when I used to talk about baseball and football all the time? And my following was largely from baseball and football. And why would I do that? Why would I devote my online presence to this thing that so many you know normal people would just be turned off by and be like, give it a rest? And so I wrote about that for the normal people, the why you dying on this hill, bro, people. And... I think it's a fair question, right? I think it's actually a fair question. And, and I think that in normal circumstances, you know, obsessing about politics is probably a waste of time. And you see college students or young people just get so riled up about the latest political thing. And it's, it's pointless. Like, you know, it's, you know, this save the whales, you know, this George Carlin, save the snails, save the whales, you know, whatever thing that you're, you know, riled up about. I'm not saying that the causes aren't worthy or, or some of them aren't true, it's just, you know, when you get older, you're like, all right, just do your job, focus on your hobbies, focus on your family, live your life, stop worrying about saving the world, basically. It's, it's, it's amateurish. It's, it's sort of a rookie move, like get over it. And I think that's usually good advice because most of the stuff is manufactured. You don't really know what the hell you're talking about. And even if you're right, you're, you're not making a big impact and you're scolding all these other people about things and, and your life's not even in order. So I think for the most part, that's correct in, in peacetime and in, in normal times. But, and I, I think people would have to concede this, if there were an army of barbarians coming to kill you and your family, you and your kids, then getting a gun and going to the hill is absolutely not only the, you know, the best thing to do, it's your obligation to defend your family and to risk it all because if you don't, then they're coming to, to kill you. So in a time like that, the, the question isn't why, you know, why are you dying on this hill? It's like, why aren't you joining me on this hill? I mean, it's time to join me get your musket and come, come to the hill with me. We got to defend this hill. It's all we got. And so the question isn't like who can mock who for, you know, oh, you're a coward, you're, you're pretending whatever, or, oh, you're just being a, a ridiculous person griping about all this stuff you can't control, totalitarian, biomedical surveillance, all this crazy shit that you believe, conspiracy theory, whatever. Um, so we can mock each other for this back and forth, but I don't think that's the the important takeaway, the important takeaway is what situation are we in? Like, are we in just a normal situation where, yeah, the, the argument that carries the day is give it a rest, you know, go about your life or we're in an abnormal situation where is, your stupid job is trivial, dude. Get to the fucking hill now. There's people coming to kill you. It's time to go to the hill. And I think that's the that's the debate. And, you know, it's obviously a figurative hill because they're not coming in yet to kill you. They're coming in to say that you have to be locked down in your house. They're coming in to say you need to show your papers to go to a restaurant. And, you know, while those restrictions have abated somewhat as, as COVID has become more mild, you know, Boris Johnson was just 
do an interview where he said, no, of course we would, I would never say we would not do it again if a, a new variant came or whatever. And he's basically saying, yeah, it's up to us. We've, we've eased the restrictions for now, but if we deem a uh, sufficient emergency, we could reinstate them. And he's basically saying, you don't really have rights. Your rights exist contingent upon the next emergency or what we say is the next emergency. And to me, this is unprecedented, right? I'm 51 and I've never been told when I can leave my house. I've never been having to show my papers to go to a restaurant, prove some sort of blood, you know, antibody compliance or any of that shit. Take the latest pharmaceutical. This has never been my life. And people just dismiss things because in a Western democracy, if you've grown up like I have and most of you listening have, all the controversies, oh, global warming, oh, ISIS, whatever, they all just pass. It's not really anything to worry about. But this is the first time you actually couldn't go out of your house. This is the first time you had to show a, a, a document to get into a restaurant. I mean, this, this is unprecedented. And it's very dismissing to say, well, this will pass too because everything else has. It's the Bertrand Russell inductive reasoning, right? It's like jumping off the Empire State Building, counting the windows as you go down. And when you get to 80 saying, hey, so far, so good. 80 for 80, we're good. I mean, this is never going to happen. Nothing bad could happen. I'm 80 for 80. Well, yeah, the 80 controversies you've heard in your life uh, have all kind of passed but that doesn't mean you're not going to hit the ground. And this is real evidence. And then the other thing I wrote about in that article was that um, there's an excerpt that I've used a few times from this, this guy, uh, Milton Mayer, and he's writing, I forget the name of the, uh, the actual uh, book, but he, it was like when we were free or something. And it's about see Germany. And he's talking about how everybody's in denial when this stuff is happening, even in Nazi Germany, even when the worst was happening until it was too late, they were in denial. You know, when they, they said, Oh, with, this was regrettable. And, this was unfortunate, but we had to do it. And most of the population in a situation where the government is starting to encroach on a democratic people's rights, starting to lock you down, starting to force compliance with medical mandates, they will be in denial for various reasons. One is that it's professionally and socially advantageous to be in denial. You don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. You don't want to be a Trumper. You don't want to be a whatever whatever the word is for people who don't go along and they see that propaganda on purpose that, you know, you're, you're an anti-vaxxer. You don't want to be one of those people. So professionally and socially, it's, you have incentives to go along. And then also it's just frankly disturbing. It provokes anxiety to be, be thinking, you know, this, your government is, is fucking dangerous and is curtailing your rights to a point where you may have to comply with all sorts of measures that you don't want to comply if this, things keep going in this direction. And so it's, it's frankly disturbing to have that little trust in your government when they have that still have a lot of power, although I'm, my aim is to deny as much power to them as possible. So people are going to be in denial. Of course, they're in denial. You know, in, in Nazi Germany, in 1938, you said to your colleagues, the guy says, he says, you know, they say, you're, yeah, yeah, I get it, but you're an alarmist. And he's like, and you are an alarmist because you don't know where, what leads to what. So even in the worst case scenario, most people were totally in denial, totally acting like nothing was going on. And I see it here. I see, you know, the fact that you weren't allowed to leave your house, you know, fundamental rights or that, you know, you, you had to show your papers in a Western democracy to get into a, a restaurant and people dismiss that as no big deal. This is the kind of denial that, that you would, you know, expect. So I wrote about that. And basically, if it's true that serious incursions to your freedom, to your sovereignty, to your rights are being made, and it seems like there's quite a bit of evidence People would be in denial. The fact that nothing bad has happened to you to date, despite you know, all sorts of alarmist stuff that's come up in the last 30 years, it's not a good reason to dismiss this. It just means that, you know, so far, so good, 80 for 80 or whatever. And that if we were in such a situation where this were happening, obviously the question would not be 
why are you dying on this hill, bro? But why aren't you joining me on this hill? And I just think that your incentives are not to think it through, to just dismiss it. They're very strong in this case, and I understand it. But I think that you do not want to think it through because if you did, it would be disturbing to you and it would be hard for you to get along with the people with whom you associate, many of them. And so you have a strong incentive not to see this. But if this were happening, then your job is to join people like me on the Hill and it's a moral obligation and just say, no, say, fuck off. You know, no, absolutely not. It's not just no, it's fuck no. And it's not just fuck no, it's fuck you for trying to tell me I have to listen to these experts and I have to do what I'm told. No, it's fuck you. Yeah, no, I'm a grown up human being. I don't control you. You're a grown up also. I am allowed to manage my life the way I see fit. And I reject people trampling on the rights that are enshrined in the supreme law of the land that I have. I can choose what to do with them. I can make mistakes. People have the right to make mistakes. I can freely eat Doritos all day and uh, have diabetes and cancer. I can do that. And I should have the right to do that. I'm not going to do that because it's stupid, but I have the right to make mistakes. And you don't have the right to tell me which mistakes I can make so long as they're within the law. And I'm not talking about ad hoc executive orders saying, oh, we, you, you have to force inject yourself. I'm talking about the supreme law of the land, the Bill of Rights, the law that stood the test of time for 250 odd years. So that's just that. I was writing about that. I have a controversial piece coming up and it's, it's not so, well, I'll talk about it. Um, it. It's done enough that I don't think I'm going to ruin it by talking about it. It's the Antichrist. So, you know, I talked about the second coming with Bitcoin and how I've, I left out the fact that Jesus kicked the money changers out of the temple and Bitcoin's going to kick the central banks out of, of monetary policy. So I, I said that it was an effect without a cause, uh, like Jesus, the Immaculate Conception, but also it's going to get rid of the money changers. I had forgotten that. So, okay. So metaphorically speaking, the second coming doesn't need to be a person, could be a, a thing or a emergent technology. So, okay. Satoshi is the creator. Bitcoin is the brainchild of the creator in that. That's the second coming. I said, well, if I have a second coming, maybe I should have an antichrist. You know, we're talking about the book of Revelation and uh, maybe I just saw The Omen at too young of an age. I was definitely traumatized by seeing that at age nine. It's a very fucked up movie. Great movie, but fucked up. I don't know if it would hold up, but it scared the shit out of me. And so I'm like, okay, well, who would the Antichrist be? If there's a, there, if there's a Jesus, there's an Antichrist. If we're going to go by the book of Revelation, and again, let's not take these things too literally. These are symbolic things. You know, most people would say, oh, Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or Putin or somebody like that would come to mind. But no way. The Antichrist is not some hated person almost certainly not the leader of Russia. Bill Gates is despised. If that's the Antichrist, Satan's not sending his best. So I don't think it's Bill Gates. Klaus Schwab's old too and despised. The WF people eat bugs. That's a pretty shitty pitch. Not, not that many people are really going to go for that in the end. So I don't think those guys are the Antichrist. They're, they're evil. I, I, I think they're up to no good, but no Antichrist for them. So who else? You know, it's like, okay, what about Donald Trump? Donald Trump much more popular, charismatic. He's old, but he's not elderly the way some of these uh, more, you know, guys the same age as him. He looks, he's a little bit more youthful, but no, Trump is, is street smart, but he's not smart, smart. He's not a genius. And while he has sort of a following, he's also widely despised by so many people. He's not going to unify the world in, in a worship with, of the Antichrist. So Trump, 
I don't think that's a very good uh, candidate. And then I was like, what about Obama? I used to think Obama would be the best candidate if I ever thought about this, because I was like, he's charismatic. He's very smart. He was well liked. He just has that kind of calm, measured presence. And, and there was actually a lot of right wingers who, who were like, oh, Obama's the Antichrist. And they had you know all this. Uh, there was like a, a movement about that. And it's so funny because I think there was like a Snopes. Snopes is like a joke, but they fact checked that claim whether Obama was the Antichrist and decided, no, he wasn't. And it just cracks me up. You can't fact check whether someone is the Antichrist. That's like the dumbest. Oh, fact check. He's not the Antichrist. That's not like a matter of factual checking. This is like some symbolic, ridiculous thing. But they fact checked that he wasn't the Antichrist. But, I, but I'm going to agree with the fact check, even though the fact checking is absurd. Uh, he's been too irrelevant since he, you know, since he got his Martha's Vineyard payoff and He's just kind of irrelevant. I don't, I don't think he's, he hasn't done much post-presidency. You'd think someone like him, with the clout that he had, would have been more involved, but he's just kind of disappeared. So don't think it's Obama. So who would I think if there were one? And again, this is symbolic. There's, I, you know, there's no 666 in anyone's head. This is just sort of like who would represent sort of the antithesis. You know, if Bitcoin represents freedom, sort of the axioms under which humanity can thrive, a sound money, where value and the language of value is, is communicated clearly and, and without distortion. There's not this money printing which distorts the incentives in society and, and makes people kind of march to the beat of this fake drum where they can buy, you know, edict by fiat, tell you what to do because they can just print, print you into uh, dilution. All this stuff that Bitcoin solves as an axiomatic foundational principle of society, sound money, just like the constitution is an axiom for a good society. Whereas, you know, places where there are no rights are, are poor axioms for societies. You know, I think Bitcoin is, is sort of the, the right rules. And so who would be sort of opposed to that? Who would be the, the biggest impediment to a, uh, you know, sort of the complexity? And I talked about it last week with Tree3, right? There's the mechanical AI version of building a huge number, machines building machines that make machines. You know, that was sort of the idea of, of Graham's number, the sort of, increased accelerated iterations of these mathematical processes where tree three was a game and it destroys it it's complexity it's a couple it's a couple of rules in a game and boom it, it blows graham's number out of the water and how you know sort of the top down mechanical way of building something could represent sort of the antichrist and the bottom up sort of emergent formation of intelligence and human thriving and people doing things individually and the collective just growing naturally out of that, not enforced like communism, not enforced top down. Um, that's God. You know, the Tao Te Ching, the supreme good is like water. It nourishes without trying to. Not do-gooders, not ESG compliant people, but the supreme good nourishes without trying to. You know, water just nourishes. It's not trying to nourish. It just is. It just does. And I kind of feel that way about Bitcoin a bit, that it's just a better system of, of doing things and just the, it, the incentives get aligned for people to thrive, to save money, to deflationary currency allows people to save and forego consumption because their money will be worth more in the future, not less. And they can invest in a large project. You can build, you know, the Notre Dame cathedral over, you know, 300 years where the people who commissioned it and spent so much money on it and effort knew they wouldn't live to see its completion. I mean, these kind of projects are not possible in a, you know, an aggressively consumptive society where we need to spend our money before it evaporates. So, you know, that, that's sort of, if that's sort of the, the, the God side of it, the Jesus side of it, the humanity having free will and restraint 
And as Safety Amu says, uh, low time preference that we can wait rather than high time preference where we need to be gratified immediately. Um, you go from a degenerate society to a, uh, a flourishing one. If that's sort of you know, one side of it, what's the opposite side? You know, to me, it's the AI, the mechanical application of everything. And who would be the embodiment of that? I hate to say it because I like this guy and I agree with him on so much stuff. But if there were, and again, it's just symbolic. I, you know, there's no 666 in his head. Uh, it would be Elon Musk. And I know that's going to piss people off, especially some of my uh, favorite listeners who are big Tesla guys. And I, I own stock in Tesla, full disclosure. But it would be Elon Musk. And, and here's why. Because Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates, they've already lost. They're hated. Nobody wants to eat bugs bullshit. Greta Thunberg, one of the least appealing people in the world. But Elon Musk is charismatic. I like Elon Musk. I agree with Elon Musk on a lot of things. He's talking about instead of population reduction, that we need to increase the population, that we're declining too much. He's talking about free speech. You know, he's talking about the woke mind virus from Yale. I mean, he's right about this stuff. And I, I like Elon Musk. I, I think he's, he's, and he's probably a genius, by the way, Elon Musk. He's certainly very smart. He's not like Trump, who's street smart, but not smart. And he's also savvy. He's not a, a dork like Bill Gates. Uh, he may have Asperger's, but he does have a, a sense of, of what's funny. He has a sense of humor and he gets sort of from the zeitgeist. He gets, you know, sort of what's what's going on. You know, Jeff Bezos is is, is a dork. Bill Gates is a dork. Elon Musk is kind of cool. He's likable. I like him. Of course, I would like the Antichrist. If the Antichrist, if you didn't like the Antichrist, he wouldn't be a very good Antichrist. So the problem with Elon, and, and here's the negative, and there's Neuralink, which is like, instead of just simply do what you're told, Neuralink, you know, the chip is in your brain. There's not even a gap between what you're being told and then you doing it. And the brothers Karamazov, the Grand Inquisitor, which is, uh, I think it's from I Ivan Karamazov, Ivan Karamazov's story that he's writing. And he tells Alyosha, who's kind of the Jesus figure, the hero, you know, his vision of the Grand Inquisitor. And the Grand Inquisitor says, you know, men are weak and they need to be ruled by us and they will have the sweet happiness of children because that's their their nature is to be happy like children and only the you know thousands of us who rule them will suffer uh the real anxiety of free choice and so the grand inquisitor is kind of an antichrist figure he's you know christ is like no you you have to choose god you have to have free will to choose the difficulty of it whereas the antichrist the uh the mission is to, to sort of enslave people to this simple pleasures simple uh lack of fear and, and be sort of children forever. And so you have Elon Musk with Neuralink. That's a little bit scary. You know, they put the, the chip in your brain. You could be in a virtual reality way better than eat the bugs. And you could be in a, a great virtual reality. So he could have a, a much better pitch. You have a shitty life. You don't like your job. You, you don't have a girlfriend. And now you can put a chip in your head and have everything. You know, you could be in a virtual reality that's so complete because it's operating at the brain level. Um, again, I don't know how serious he is about that, but at first it would be, you know, let's use this to cure disease and get rid of autoimmune disease and program people to uh, in, in the ways that they want. But of course, that's just the the first step would be that, you know, just the technologies, they, they start out optional and, you know, or they start out as one thing and they evolve to be something else. The other thing is, you know, for all of his brilliance and his ideas, you know, he wants to save humanity. He wants to make us an interplanetary species. And, and that's great. I mean, well, you know, we want people to innovate. We want people to create. But what if the answer is, is bottom up? It's, it's people being incentivized to save and, and have projects. And you have a guy with a top-down vision with a lot of power and control. And that kind of comes up against the sort of bottom-up faith in humanity, given the right incentives. 
So there's sort of a, a conflict between the top down and the bottom up. And he's the one with the only plausible solution. I mean, I mean, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, as I said, that pitch is dead on arrival. Nobody wants the shit they're selling. But Elon, I think his vision is, is more appealing, at least on his face. The other thing is the electric cars. Electric cars can be remotely turned off. Driverless cars certainly, you know, give you no autonomy. The combustion engine, you have your little, uh, you know, your unit of energy in your, in the car itself. The Teslas track your motion, track your movements more. Of course, it's just for intelligence, for driverless cars. I'm sure that is what it's for on its face. But the level of surveillance with the electric cars versus a combustion engine. Okay. So there's a lot of, you know, so he has this vision. And again, you know, he's to date, I don't know of anything he's done that's, that's so terrible. I think, you know, most of the stuff he says, I agree with. But he's the dangerous one because he's the one I could get behind. He's the one that people could get behind reasonably. And then there might be a point where it comes to a head where it's like him or Bitcoin. And he owns Bitcoin. Tesla owns Bitcoin on its balance sheet. But the fact that he's still talking about Dogecoin, like that's a real thing when anyone who knows the space knows that's not a serious thing. The copy cryptocurrencies are not decentralized. They're not a real thing. It's, it's, it's all scam. It's almost like the, a smart antichrist would own a piece of Jesus. He would be friends with Jesus. He would ostensibly be a friend, but he'd be obfuscating the value of it by shilling this thing that is completely ridiculous and has no relation to anything that Bitcoin's about. It's just a copy without the decentralization, without the lack, the censorship resistance. It's, 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 just, it's not secure. There's no proof of work. It's completely uh, a fraud. And it's even a joke, actually, that one. And it's almost more powerful that it's a joke because it, it sort of makes the whole thing into a joke. So it subverts it in a, a very clever way. So Again, that's my pick. It's just symbolic. He doesn't have 666. He's probably, just, and you know, even in the omen, Damien finds out who he is, sees a 666 on his head and he, he screams, why me? And he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be the antichrist. He, you know, he doesn't want to be that, but it is who he is. And I could just see a situation where Elon Musk is succeeding in a lot of his ventures and his vision is starting to get even more plausible. And he's got some missions to the moon and he's got Tesla ramping up and it's very successful. And there's going to be people who have a different solution who are, no, the, you know, the, the incentives themselves for humanity is all we need. And to trust the bottom up, low time preference way of finding stranded sources of energy and sort of incentivizing us, to, incentivizing us to be a type one civilization, which is a civilization that can use all the energy, harness all of the trapped energy on this planet, all of it. People will be figuring out better solar solar Bitcoin mining and they already do geothermal and they already do hydroelectric, all the stranded energy. And, and to me, this is the solution, this bottom-up incentive-based solution, not one person's vision. Now, I don't want to sound too negative in the sense that people who have vision should, should build companies and should. Sometimes, you know, a genius among people can get a lot done. Incentives are, are more genius, I think, than you know, the complex human mind and incentives is, is more genius than any one person by far. But I, again, I wouldn't begrudge somebody doing this. It just seems like his ideas, the sort of AI version is sort of the mechanical way of doing it rather than the complexity, which is emergent things coming out that, that are not predictable from any individual human just based on good rules, good axioms. You have a good set of rules. The US had a good set of axioms in the constitution and you have the most prosperous nation in the history of the world till we get off the gold standard in, in the 70s. And now we've had really no progress with space flight with air travel, with, with the important technologies in a lot of ways. And Elon is sort of the one man. I mean, I guess Bezos is trying it too, but Elon really is the, the one who succeeded to the greatest extent, the one man 
antidote to that, but I don't think that's the antidote. I think the antidote was to keep us on a hard money and, and let humanity do, do its thing. So I feel like there's going to be sort of a, a conflict between the Elon Musk people, the Tesla people who think, no, we need to trust Elon's vision versus the Bitcoin people that say, no, we need to just have sound money and good incentives. And you're going to see all sorts of innovation derived from that. And hopefully there is no conflict. And, and, and again, I'm not saying <laughs> that he has six, six, six in his head. I'm saying if I were to pick somebody, it'd be someone very smart, very charismatic, very powerful and capable. But hopefully, you know, his ego can, can yield and say, okay, may, maybe my vision good in sort of a, an era where the incentives were off base and I created and jump-started a lot of this, but I'm going to yield to something bigger than me. Hopefully I see this sort of, I see there being sort of a, uh, a conflict and that's just my, my next piece. I'm writing it. And again, these are symbolic concepts, Jesus, Antichrist. This is the revelation. This is the Bible. This is an allegory, a very, in my opinion, prescient and intelligent myth for predicting, you know, what's going to happen, what the, what the forces of nature that are going to be in conflict. And I do think it's tree three versus Graham's number. It's AI versus the, the emergent complexity of the human mind. And I'm going to say it's Elon Musk versus Bitcoin. Those things are sort of lined up for me, but we'll see. We'll see. Oh, I mean, this last thing, I don't, I don't know about you. I, I guess because you listen to this podcast, you probably are already, I'm preaching to the choir, but like there are just so many people in their thirties and forties dying of heart attacks and strokes and excess mortality is way up and they're calling it sudden uh, adult onset syndrome or something like SADS instead of SIDS, which, you know, was for kids when, when, a, when an infant would die suddenly. And I just don't understand the person who can just dismiss this, that all these people in their forties and thirties are dying. People under 45, unless they have some sort of genetic defect, which is very rare, or unless they're incredibly in ill health, they just don't die. They don't die in their sleep randomly. It just doesn't happen. It's either drug overdose. Uh, that's it. That's the only reason that people, young people die randomly or an accident or something like that. Barring extremely rare cases of ill health. The idea that this is just happening randomly or that there's no curiosity about what the explanation could possibly be. The cognitive dissonance. I, I can't even imagine being like, oh, it's just a conspiracy. Well, what's the conspiracy theory? I mean, you know, these people are dying, don't you? Oh, people died all the time. We just didn't track it. Yeah, like all my friends in, in high school and in grade school that had heart attacks and all my friends in, the tw in my 20s that had heart attacks in 30s, there were zero, 0, 0.0. What's going on, right? Like, so can't believe how incurious people are. I know I'm, I'm sort of beating a dead horse at this point, but to me, it's just uh, totally shocking. What else did I have to say? Oh, uh, you know, I'll say a couple of things. I'm getting really into fantasy baseball. It, it's tough to focus on fantasy baseball with other shit going on, but, and I just hope that nothing happens so we can get a good season. My teams are doing pretty well and uh, it's fun. I'm, I'm taking actual joy in the NFBC. I love fantasy baseball. It's just, uh, even though I've been focused on other things, it's just some, you know, it's something that I'm still, still into. So just figured I would put that out there. All right. I guess I probably forgot like 10 things. I probably should take notes, but it is what it is. Till next time. That's it.